So first of all, dealing with all of that discourse, it's absolutely going to be views and opinions that you're not aware of or unheard of or you didn't learn in your denominational Sunday school class. And I, and I ask you just for the, for the privilege just to speak to you for about seven or eight or nine weeks on this, and before you stomp out and throw things at me, just hear me out. And so we're not taking sides either way, but I, I want to, uh, in about two or three weeks or a month, time I get to it, I'll take sides on it. But the, all of that discourse is so important because this is what Jesus is, is, is speaking to his disciples about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. And so, so the very beginning, I told you, you we do not, have, do not have a right to take certain scriptures and catapult them into an unknown distant place and time to suit your theological background. So Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 is, is all dealing with all of that discourse. Now, if you so want to, there are certain things that you can say, hey, that will match today. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. But I can go all the way back to Exodus, and we can find things, dumb things that are people doing today that say, hey, that sounds like today. Sin, listen, God doesn't change. Sin has never changed. And there's no new sin. Trust me. So when I left you last week, one of the dispensationist views was the old fig tree. And, and, and we got a fig tree in our prophetic pocket. And we say it is the fig tree that represents the nation of Israel that was rebirthed in 1948. And 67, they become the capital of Jerusalem. But 1948, and so we're going to show this real quickly, Matthew 24, 32, and 33. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When in branches already come tender and puts forth leaves, that you know summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Mark 13, 28, 29. Now learn this parable of the fig tree. When the branches already come tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near, verse 29. So you also know when you see these things happening, you know that it's near and the door. And so this is where dispensation says, this is where we get the nation of Israel is the fig tree. And when the fig tree starts blooming, it means the rebirth. When he gets his nationality back in 1948, in that generation, he will come. But we have a problem with that. You got to go back and take all Hal Lindsey's books off the shelf, and Jack Van Impey and the rest of them. And I'm not making fun of the dead. I'm just telling you. But, that, but that we've got to go Luke 21. When I let you, Luke 21 verse 32 says this: "But verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled." Go back to the verse before it, please. So when these things begin to come to pass, then look up for your heads, for your attention draws not. Next verse, please. This is talking about the destruction temple. And he spake to them the parable, behold, the fig tree and all the trees. What we said last week is, let's leave that for a moment, that it's not only the fig tree, but it's all the trees. So we don't have the right just to take Matthew and Mark. And so I, I told you last week, so why is it that Matthew and Mark talks about the fig tree alone and Luke throws in the fig trees and every other tree? And the answer is because Luke was a doctor. And doctors pay attention to details. We have kind of a doctor over here, here in the back and one over there. But doctors pay attention to every word that comes out of the patient's mouth because it's very important. Doctors don't believe in getting it close. And so Luke got it right in the, all of that discord. He heard the other thing that Jesus said, and he said, in this generation, not that generation, but this generation, when the fig tree and every other tree begins to bear blooms and blossom, you know that summer's near. What he's telling you is, here's the deal. It's not just about the fig tree that we can just use it as Israel. It's every tree. It's the laws of nature. And whenever you see the fig tree or the apple tree or the papaya, whatever, there's no papaya tree, I don't think, but whatever it may be, when it begins to bloom and bear fruit, you know that the time is short that it will, the fruit of it will, will be harvested. And he, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, Jerusalem for the last 37 years is like the laws of nature. Pay attention. They've been dis 
obedient and disrespectful for the things of God, and I'm about to slam the door on the whole thing. And I, I've said all along, be careful when you come into this place with a half a heart and a half a mind. Because God forbid he'll slam the door and say, I've had enough of that, that attitude. When we come in there, we should have a full heart and a full mind to honor God. Amen. And maybe I may be the excuse to help you make up your mind. And, I, and you won't be the first to get mad at me. It's okay. But I'd rather have you mad at me than God happy with me. So this whole thing about the fig tree, you just can't, you don't have the right to just say it's the fig tree of the nation of Israel in 1948 and then 48 and 40 years is 88. Well, he didn't come back in 1988 and then somebody said 70 years and then 70 years and 48 is not 2018, hadn't come back. And now that we can say it's a, it's a time frame and a mind frame. No one knows. Now, I'm not telling you Jesus didn't know. He, he, maybe he said nobody knows but the Father. Maybe he knew, but he said, I, don't, I, I can't give you that information right now, and I'm not going to. There's just some things you don't need to know. So I'm not going to re-preach last week's message because i got a long ways to go. So last week we talked about the dispensations view. It's a fulfillment prophecy that they belong to the future. If you're a dispensation, we talked about last week, we gave you a chronological order of everything from the church age to the tribulation to second coming, the millennial reign. Now then, but everything, every prophecy belongs to the future. And most of us that we grew up in Sunday school listening to this, we're living in the church age, there'll, there'll be great tribulation, there'll be the tribulation church, the second half been the millennium, the wicked will be judged, and we talked about this last week. But now that we're going to look at what we refer to as a, a preterist view. And before, if anybody, before you stomp out of here, uh, I, I'm not really a, a, a preterist. A preterist view believes that the kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, is a present day reality, and it is here and it is now. Now, the reason when I say I'm not a full preterist, but I'm a partial because this is what I will tell you. When Jesus Christ was born from his mother, he was king then. He's king. He was king then. Why do you think the wise men say we're looking for the king? But the king, but the preterist believes that we're living in a kingdom age now. That the king has come. And we talked about, we'll talk about again about what John the Baptist says. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means right in front of you, eye to eye. He's standing right in front of you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is standing right in front of you, and they're looking square at Jesus. And I told you last week, just remove the word dom where we get a word for domain. Instead of saying the kingdom of heaven, get rid of the dom or domain. Just put it like it says, the king of heaven is standing in front of you. See? So now then, there are two categories of Preterist, we will call. One's a radical, means a full preterist. You've heard of this, a full preterist. And, and preter is a word called praetor. I believe it's in Latin. It means past. Past. All prophecies by preterist means this. All prophecies have already been fulfilled in the first century, 70 AD. Now, I'm going to give you a list of these things. Number one, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And we can all agree with that, can we not? Okay, don't stomp out of here and don't get mad at me, all right? Because you'll just have to get over it realizing I was right. So just, just save yourself from problems. But not only that, they believe that, that the tribulation has occurred. Let me see what they got. The Antichrist has already appeared through Nero Caesarea. We understand the resurrection of the saints. The second advent has already come, Perusia, the millennial reign, and the wicked has already been judged. They believe this all happened in the first century, and I want to tell you, if you're going to put pencil and paper to it, I'm going to tell you straight up, you can't argue with anything these people said. Really? By the first century. Now, do I believe in, in the last four or five? Well, I'll tell you what I believe. Okay, the second one is what we're going to refer to is what we call as a moderate, as a moderate preterist. It's moderate. It means partial. And this is where I stand. I believe that there has prophecies been fulfilled before 70 AD, but I still believe that there's crucial prophecies yet to come. All right? Now, we, we haven't disagreed on that, have we? I do believe that certain things happened in 70 AD. 
all of that discord, the slamming of the door, the temple was destroyed. And we talked about last week why he said, don't go to the temple. When we see the Romans coming, you head to the mountains and the hills. You better go. And two's in the field, one be taken, one be left. That's not the rapture of the church. When you, be, when you see all these things happening, he said one will head to the mountains and one was obedient and one will head back to Jerusalem because that's what society said. But that's why over one million Jews was killed because they did not listen to Jesus. They went back to the comforts of hiding in the temple and the temple was destroyed. So Jesus gave them instructions that was actually the opposite of what society said. And so we, we, we said the same thing. Everybody says when a tornado comes, you go to the cellar. That's not what Uncle Clemens do. When a tornado alarm goes off, we run to the front yard and look for it. That's what we do. Jesus said, when you hear the, the, the alarm going off, don't go back into the temple where you think you're safe because you're not. Run to the mountains and the hill. You better hide. And those that was obedient to Christ, they lived. I'm trying to tell you this morning, just because something was taught in Sunday school, it, ha it may or may not be right. I'm telling you this morning, we have got to hear every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus if we're going to survive this thing. Okay. So one thing... One thing that this topic brought up is called the resurrection of the saints, the, the full, treacherous view. They believe that the resurrection has already happened. Now, ask me if I believe that. No. But kind of. Second Timothy 2, 17 18. And their word will eat as canker is a Greek word for gangrene. What these, what these gentlemen are about, what they are preaching is not topical like skin cancer. It's gangrene. Gangrene only eats the bones. This is not just a, a surface miscalculation of Scripture. What they're preaching now is absolutely will we'll eat the bones and devour the bones up where the structure and the strength of the body has collapsed. Their word will eat does like cancer, of whom Hymenus and Philetus, these are the two guys that are preaching this doctrine. And what are they preaching? Who concerning the truth they have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and they overthrow the faith of some. Now leave that up for a moment. These are, these are, are, are leaders in the first century church. In Jerusalem. Now some may say, well, they were Sadducees because Sadducees did not believe in spiritual beings or angels or they don't believe in the afterlife. But that's not what these are saying. They're telling their congregation that the resurrection has already passed. And it's not the first time that Paul had to deal with one of them. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 19 and 20. Watch this having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith they have suffered shipwrecked, of whom are, here you go, Hymenius and Alexander, which is another sidekick, whom I deliver to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme God. Leave that up there. Does this sound like a guy that said, oh, come on, can we, can we just all get along? Can we get along? Come on. Can we get along? No. And I told you last week in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said that what would Jesus do, bracelet? I wish you'd cut that thing off. He told you what he would do. He said, I'm here to divide. I'm not here to bring peace. I'm here to divide you. I've come to divide mothers and daughters and husbands. That's why people hate you and they don't even know you. Turn to somebody and say, well, I love you though, that, if that helps. So evidently, Hymenius, Alexander and Philetus, they were preaching something, and Paul said, you know, I'm so sick of you, I'm not even going to pray for you. You know, so what happens is Paul said, I'm not even going to pray for you anymore. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You are blaspheming God. Woo. So anyway, so was these guys just making this up that the resurrection had already passed? What were they preaching? That the resurrection had already passed. Was they just making this up? And the answer is no. So buckle up. Go ahead. Buckle up, buttercup. Watch this. <coughs> Matthew 27, verse 52 and 53. This is the crucifixion. 
and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that means who have died, were raised. And coming out of the graves after Jesus' resurrection, and they, plural, went into the holy city and appeared to many. What do you do with these two verses, ladies and gentlemen? Back them up. Yeah, you, you read it right. Now, they did not come out of the graves before his resurrection, but the graves were open, and the graves were open, and many bodies, not ghosts, not goblins, not ghouls, bodies. It's the correct language. Many bodies of the saints who had died, they were raised from the dead. And not only that, they come out of their graves after his resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Nobody wants to touch these two verses. Look it up. They'll bypass it. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what does it mean? I'm not saying. But I will tell you this. Do I believe this is the actual seventh, second coming and parousia of Christ? The answer is no. He will come again in the future. But evidently, we did have a resurrection here of not only Jesus, but either they came out of the grave and went back to the streets. And who were they? We don't know. Nobody says anything about it. We don't know who they were. All we know is that there were many that was raised from the grave and they went back to Jerusalem and walked around with him. And if that's not true, then the rest of the Bible is a lie. We don't know who these, but we, we don't know if they were decomposed body. We don't know if somebody just recently died. We don't know if it was Simeon that met Jesus on the... We don't know anything about this. All we can tell you is this. We don't know if it's King David, if it's Samuel. We don't know. And we're not going to guess here because I don't guess. All right? I'm not going to guess because I'll do you a great in service. But I'll tell you what, it was more than just Jesus after his resurrection that come out of the grave. So the answer is, this is where full preterists get this doctrine of the resurrection. Hymenus and Fletus and Alexander has already passed. Because once someone has been buried and they come up out of the grave and they're walking with Jesus and their bodies are going back into to the homes and families where they've been, it's pretty obvious that something supernatural has happened. So I'm not, I'm not parking here, and we're not going to scratch our head for three weeks. And I wonder where the unicorns went. Well, they were really rhinoceroses, but besides that, we're not going to do that. But it, so if you want to know when on a full preterus where they get the resurrections already passed and how many and fleetest, why they even said that is because you kind of keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that it was only a 37-year span of time between the death of Jesus and the destruction of the temple and a lot of things happened, including the book of Acts and the epistles. So we read it like it took hundreds of years. No, just a few years. So that's why these men were in the concept of saying there's no future resurrection, and we know that there is. We know that he'll come again. And we know in 70 AD he did come. He didn't hit planet Earth, but he come to judge the temple and destroy Jerusalem. And we talked about this on, on week one of this, but he'll come back. And he'll set his feet upon the Mount of Olives and they will split wide open from the east to the west and they will mourn from him as they mourn for their own son and they, and they will see him as king and messiah. And when that day comes, I don't know, but we are commanded just to live our life that's pleasing to him. So, so the partial preterist is the one that believes that certain things have happened in the past, but there's some crucial ones still to come and I'm that guy. All right? Matthew 24, verse 3. Matthew 24 is, is still in the context of the temple. Don't take it out. 
King James says, and as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to and said, privately saying, which is four of them, tell us what she thinks shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. Now, was Jesus, the end of the world, was Jesus referring to human history here on earth? Because the King James says, the end of the world. So you get the idea of this, Matthew 24 is dealing with the end of the world when everything will be eradicated, everything's over, God blows the whistle, and it's all done. This is a horrible translation. Horrible. And this is why it's, uh, it's confused a lot of prophecy preachers, and, and including me, when I first got born again. Because I, I didn't have somebody to tell me, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't take stuff and move into the future. Jesus is speaking to about the destruction of the temple. Now, I, I want to show this. This is Matthew 13, 38, and 40, and we're going to read this very slowly in the King James. This is the parable of the wheat and tares. So the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that has sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burnt into the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. So when we read this, we get this idea that this is the very end of time. This is somewhere in, 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 in the unknown future because he keeps mentioning the end of the world, the end of the world, end of the world. But let's get it right. Let's go back and reread it in the New King James. You can read it in the ESV, the NIV. You, you can read any other translation but the King James. He gets it wrong. And, and somebody would say, and I want to be honest with you because I had this section I have to deal with, so I have to say it a little slower. But, but you have to assume when the King James was written, these, these were scholars of people. They weren't really religious men, so they assumed things. They had to assume things. And so when, when they saw certain words that was written, they assumed it was the end of the world in future times. Because they were carnal men. So this is what it says in the NIV. For the field is the world. And this word world is, is the same world. It's cosmos. The field is the world, cosmos. It means earth and its occupants. Humans, animals, birds, plants, and terrain. That's what the word world means in cosmos. Earth and its occupants, humans, animals, birds, plants, and land masses. Now then, go to the, in a, the King James, New King James, please. The field is the world. It says the same thing. The field is the world. It's the cosmos. But the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Same thing. But the tares are the sons of the wicked ones. Same thing. The enemy who has sowed them is the devil. Same thing. The harvest is in the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So therefore, the tares are gathered and burnt in the fire, so will it be at the end of this, 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 this. Not that. This. He didn't say the angel, he didn't say that it should be burned up in that age. He said this age, present tense. If we're going to do this, we're going to get it right. This word is the word ion. And ion, by definition in the Greek, it means a period of time. So he's giving you this definition of the kingdom of heaven is like the world cosmos. It's, it's earth and the field is the earth and the land and the people and the plants and, and, and all these things. But when he gets on down to it about the terrors and, and, and the angels, he doesn't say the end of the world like the end of the human history. He said the end of this age. So it should read, the end of the world should read, it's the close of an age. Watch this. Let's don't get it wrong. This age. Before 70 AD. All right. It was the close of the Jewish religious age. It means 
It's a period of time that the Jews had from 33 AD to 70 AD. That time has now expired. And for you that have not been here, the problem is Jesus rose from the dead at 33 AD and they continued to ignore him as the ultimate sacrifice for God and they kept slicing and slaughtering animals in the temple for 37 years and God said, I'm done with it. You've mocked me long enough. And I, I told somebody this on the phone, if I can... If you'll give me like 30 seconds, I'm going to go off. There, there's accountability and judgment right now for the people of God to get it wrong. And like Brother Jamie said, we can get it wrong, but listen, can you imagine the people that lived from, from, from when Jesus was alive and then that generation that they, they were there, maybe the 70 AD, and some of them were, but they held him, they heard him, they went to school with him, they sat in synagogue with him, they touched him. They beheld him. They saw him crucified, and they saw him resurrected from the dead. Those people were eyewitnesses of the real deal. No wonder God was breathing out flames. You and I are going by the word of God, and that's what we have to go by. And, and, and sometimes we go by secondhand information, and sometimes we get it wrong. But listen, even in our best intentions, we get it wrong. But we're not talking about you reading something and getting wrong. We're talking about you actually witnessing in flesh and blood the reality of who Jesus was, and you still reject him. Boy, you don't think God was pleased. He was not pleased at all. That's why he slammed the door. And that's why he destroyed Jerusalem. And even to this day, the Jewish age of sacrifice since 70 AD has never been reinstated in over 2,000 years because when God slammed the door, he bolted shut. Will they resurface again in about six weeks? If you'll stay with me, the answer is yes. All right. But it wasn't just the ending of an age. It was the immediate beginning of a new age. It was the kingdom of hand, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Now, when you hear the word new age, you go, oh my gosh, we're going to have some crystals and all. No, I'm not telling you. It says when we close out an age, it's the end of an age. It's an end of a dispensation of time. It's an end of an era. But just because an era ended, now then a new one begins immediately. When my grandson comes out of that mother's womb, He's going, to, he's going to be transferred from, from one place to another immediately. The idea of this, that when Jesus, when he said the kingdom of heaven is hand, and when that Jewish age was over, so here's the deal. When was the Jewish age over? Now watch this. Is when Jesus was born in God's sight. It wasn't the fact that slicing animals' blood and and, and, and goats and rams, it wasn't the fact because God chose that for 1,500 years and it, it was a temporary fix. It didn't fix anything. It was just a temporary something to push off into the future. They, didn't know, they knew a little bit about forgiveness, but they knew nothing about redemption. Their sins could be forgiven, but they could never be redeemed. Only Jesus could redeem. And so for 1,500 years, I'm not telling you that sacrifices was illegal by God. I'm just telling you, but the moment that King Jesus was born, a new era and a new age began. Remember what John the Baptist says? Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He's letting him in on a clue. Now that sounds weird to hear, but when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Izzo is a word for standing in front of you, and John the Baptist says the kingdom of heaven is standing in front of you, he's telling you not only a kingdom, but a king, the new age. And the new age was the new era. The new dispensation is referred to as the kingship of Christ. And that was weird to them, and it's weird to you. So the question is this morning, if he was king, which he was king, and an era of religious worship has now expired, what's the mission of the new king in town? And I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 19, verse 43 and 44. When, before we read this, this is what I want you to see. 
the Jews were so far from God, it wasn't funny. Matter of fact, he says, I am so sick of your bloody bullocks. I would rather, what I, what I, he said, I'd rather have obedient sacrifice. But he said, don't you see, all I want you is to obey me. I'm, I'm up to here with blood sacrifices. It doesn't mean anything to me because your heart's not in it. I'd rather you have coming in this door and not knowing anything but your heart longs after God than you be the, the greatest and the latest thing that ever hit planet Earth in your own mind. But your heart is not towards God. You understand that? That's where the Jews were. And they thought they were all that. They thought they were everything. Matter of fact, they prided themselves in that. But on that day that when Jesus was born, a new kingdom began. And it was called the kingdom of heaven or the king of heaven is now here. And what began as, as in swaddling clothes, but it wasn't long as we well know, by the age 12 that he's, he's stuck in the temple for three days. It's not the fact that he was lost for three days. They wouldn't let him leave at 12 years old. He's sitting in a Sunday school class and somebody says something that was in the astronomy business, not astrology, a medical doctor. And he said, oh, by the way, do you, know, do you know how many miles of blood vessels are in your body? And they go, oh, like you do know. And he goes, matter of fact, I do know. I was there when my father made you. Boy, I mean, and he talked about crop rotation. He talked about the stars. He talked about the anatomy of the body. Everything had to do with science and everything. And one by one, the Bible says, when they couldn't find him, he was in the, teacher, he was in the temple. He was sitting down. Teachers always sat down back then. They wouldn't let him leave. You know why? Because they had bits and pieces, but he knew everything about all of the puzzle they were trying to put together. So he was king. And a new age had began. And so the question is, that what was his job assignment if he was the king, which he was? And I'll show you. Luke 19, verse 43. He's standing over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping over it. And he says, for the days will come. What days? Say 70 A.D. Just say 70 A.D. Will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, which the Romans did, and surround you and close you on every side, which they did, and level you and your children with you to the ground. And they will not leave you. They will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Leave that up there. If he was king, which he was, then evidently the king had an assignment, which he did. And what was his assignment? And I'm fixing to show you. Stay with me. He said, the day will come where they're going to surround you, which they did. Rome come in and starved them out. And then they walked in there without a shot being fired because the people were so weak of famine and starvation. And they took the temple apart and destroyed over a million people in 70 AD. Over a million. There wasn't a million people living in Jerusalem, about 250,000, but because when they heard the blow of the trumpet, all surrounding cities and, and counties run to the, the safe place. But it was the wrong place to run. And he said, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So let's talk about that. The word visitation, uh, the visitation of God had come to these people in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. It says, Simeon, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. So now here's Simeon sees him for the first time. And he said, I've been waiting all my life for you, and here you are. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. Speaking of Jesus. Well, we know he redeemed him, but this visited part is going to get you. 
The word visited in the Greek language is a word called episkopos. It's called an overseer. It's where we get a word for episcopal. A term used to re refer to a type of church government where authority was given to bishops. Now, hang on. Is anybody here come of an Episcopal church? I'm, I'm, have you? Okay, a bishop. Anybody else? Episcopal, episcopos, was a term that was given to church leaders or government where bishops pretty well had control over the body. But when this is written, there was no such thing as a, a religious bishop. It was a military term. A bishop was a military term way before it was a religious term, and it was a military term that was given to people and leaders to review the troops and inspect, engage them to make sure they were prepared for the battle. And if they were not in preparations, there was penalties that would be imposed upon them. He will demand it of you to be prepared. That's his job, is to not make you comfortable. I am your drill sergeant. Say, I love Miss Gaylor. Yeah. The idea of Episcopal or bishop as a military term was that his job is to go to the troops and make sure that they're ready, they're prepared, that their, their weapons are clean, it's loaded, they look good, they're prepared, they're in good, they're good physical condition, and so on and so forth. You get the idea. And if not, if not, it was the job of the bishops or sergeants, but bishops, <coughs> not in the religious, they didn't come to later, but to make sure that they get them in fighting order and, and prepared to, for battle. So a bishop is an overseer, which is what we call episcopus. The root word for episcopos is scope. I'm getting somewhere with this if you give me three minutes. Jesus visited Planet Earth. A scopos is an instrument to make things clear in view. So if you'll just add the prefixes, a microscope is to view small things and make them clear. A telescope is to view far away things and make them clear. A periscope is to view things all around and make them clear. And, and an epi Scopos, it means, epi means beside, close to, or next to you. Episcopos, by definition, is to evaluate a person's actions or behavior that is near or close to you. Jesus was God's episcopos, clearly, to evaluate the condition and behavior of the Jewish nation before he posing penalties upon them. Was God going to judge the people in 70 A.D.? Say yes. But before he slammed the door in 70 A.D., he sent his bishop to visit them. And when I mean like visit him, if he's ghost boss, it doesn't mean, hey, how's the kids? He was episcopos. He was beside them, around them, and he could see them clearly, a scope. And his job was to view clearly the actions and the behavior of the Jewish nation in regard to breaking commandment number one and commandment number two. There was no guessing to it. He visited the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean like he visited them with a camper trailer. His job was sent by the Father to visit them and to hold them accountable. And because they would not change, watch this, he imposed rightful penalties upon the nation of Jerusalem. That's what it means, visited. Episcopos, by definition, it means a supervisor. It's an English word where we get supervisor, and here's the Greek word. Supervision. 
Jesus was God's supervisor. Jesus was God's bishop. And when he come to visit the nation of Israel, he was there to inspect every troop. He was there to examine your motives. Now to those that are, that are plumbers and prostitutes and all the other people, that's not what his, his mission was. He was headed right towards the synagogue with all those people that were playing church. And he was God's bishop. And he was visiting them on a mission because he was the new king. He was God's bishop and he was God's supervisor and he had God's supervision. Wow. Jesus had the vision to see the condition of man's heart and his true nature. Now, we're going to show one more scripture and we're going to let you go home. Episcopos means a scope. I can see clearly. We're going to read the King James and then we're going to read the message. Watch this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, that many believed in his name and they saw the signs which he did. Now, this sounds weird. Doesn't this sound weird? But Jesus did not commit himself to them. That's weird. I thought we were supposed to love everybody. Are y'all awake or have you passed out on me? Oh, I thought we were supposed to love everybody. Well, quit assuming. What would Jesus do? Well, right here, he didn't commit himself to them. One thing I like about Jesus, he's not hypocritical about it. And I really don't like fakes either. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify man for he knew that was what was in man. Now watch the message Bible. It's pretty good. During the times it was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, that many people noticed that the signs was displaying and seeing they pointed straight to God. So they entrusted their lives to him, which was Jesus. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them because he knew them inside and out and knew how untrustworthy they were. And he didn't need any help seeing right through them. Now, don't, don't go to work. Does that kind of like somebody's got supervision to you? You know, one thing about being the son of God, if you're going to get it right, God said, you're going to get it right, but I'm going to give you the ability not only to be a bishop, an inspector, a sergeant at arms to inspect the troops, to clearly see what's going on. That's why he came to the earth, to clearly see what's going on. I know, I know he came to earth, my brother, because he couldn't redeem people, but he came to earth first to visit the people. Don't leave that out. Seeming the prophet got it right. He's come to visit us and redeem us, but the visitation is not, it's not a visitation that he's here on vacation. He's here to inspect us. And the motions that we're going through in church and, and all this stuff. But he's not only God's Episcopal or God's bishop or God's sergeant arm, but God gave him supervision that he was able to see in people's hearts. That he would know without a shadow of a doubt what the true heart and the nature of a man was on the inside. So it's funny, you can leave that up there, but it's funny that this is the last two verses in John chapter 2 and we got to go. So there's no chapter 3 whatsoever. So he just goes right on and then Three verses later, two verses later, here comes a guy named Nicodemus and he said the same thing. Hey, these things that you're doing, these signs and wonders you're doing, nobody can do them except for God. He says the same thing these people said. And Jesus said, won't you come over here? I'm going to show you the plan of salvation. Why did he refuse some and brought one in besides the divine election? And we, you don't want to talk about that. We'll get to it in week 11. Before, before I retire, you're going to get it. And you can say for the last 30-something years, the last 15 years, there's something different about me, and this is what's different about me, what I'm trying to teach you. 
Jesus was God's supervisor. God gave him supervision that he could look within a man's heart. And he said, you know what? You're not after God. You're just one after the frills and the thrills. And I will not commit myself to you. But that guy right there, he has a heart for God. And blessed are you that hunger and thirst after righteousness. It doesn't mean you're, you're all that yet, but you're hungry for God. That's when you'll be filled. You don't have to be all in all right now. All you got to do is hunger for God. All you got to do is thirst for God. And God will meet you and fill you right where you are. That's it, see? Well, I don't have a degree. You don't need a degree. Just hunger after God. And I'm so hungry for God and I'm so thirsty for God even, even though I know three verses on a poem. But I'm still hungry for God. So this is what happens. Jesus was God's bishop. Jesus was God's episcopos. Jesus was God's episcopal. Jesus was God's sergeant. That he came to this earth to get a first-hand view of the wickedness and the corruption that was in the Jewish nation as far as religious services. Because any court of law, anybody here being in front of a judge, I don't need to know. Please don't tell me. But all the judge will say, I just want the facts. And Jesus had supervision, not only as an overseer, but supervision, he was an inward seer. And he knew the hearts of men. So this morning, this has everything to do with the destruction of the temple. This has everything to do before 70 AD. I'm glad to finish this morning to tell you that not only God was sent Jesus to visit the people of God, but he came to redeem us. So I wonder this morning if he's still visiting us. I know people say this. They say, oh, would you come and visit us? I don't know if you really want him to be visit us now that you know what it means. Do you really want Jesus to visit you? So in about a week, we're going to talk about the rapture of the church. That'll get you going. That'll make you tear up your membership. Wait till I get the millennial rain. You'll bring cigarette lighters and set the church on fire. I do believe certain prophecies has happened, but I believe there's great ones that awaits us. There will probably be a seven-year tribulation. There will be revealing of an antichrist. I'm sure of that. But all that, I don't care. I'm just looking for his coming again. The Prusia, where Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, whether I'm alive or dead, I'm going with him, and I'm going to be with him. And I get to see my mom. My dad. Is it any wonder that the very last words that John the Red Raider said was this? Even so, Lord Jesus, would you just come? I'm looking for his coming. Father, this morning we've learned some valuable lessons today about those 37 years between the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and to the destruction of the temple. But for the first 33 years of your wonderful life, you were God's bishop. You were God's episcopal. You were God's episcopos. You walked among them. You lived among them. You ate with them. You slept with them. You taught principles of the Father, and you were so near to them that you could see them clearly 
There was no guessing to it that you gave Jesus supervision that he could see in the hearts of men that they couldn't fool him. But for those that had a hunger for the Father, you embraced men like Nicodemus and the others. Father, as Jamie said this morning, there's probably times we're not going to get it right. There's things we're going to do. We'll take a few steps forward and one step backwards, but but I believe we're in a church that really we really want to know you. I don't want to get lost inside of a building. I don't want to get lost inside of a denomination. I'd really like to know you on a personal level. I'd like to talk to you on first name basis if you don't mind. I have to believe that if you have a billfold, my picture's in it. That's where I want to be with you. And I believe even in 2022, you're still visiting us by your Holy Spirit and all you're doing is inspecting us, not to condemn us, to prepare us, groom us in righteousness, change our thinking, rearrange our thoughts, sharpen our steps. That's the visit you're here to do today. You're preparing your people for a greater day ahead. And I'm so thankful for that. And if there's anyone in this place, Father, that has never made a personal commitment to you, let them do that today. Because we need to be aware of your visitation today. And for all these things, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. How I many knows Jesus is coming again? He's coming again. I don't know and you don't know, but he's coming. And as our communion servers will come, this is, somebody asked me this week, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Episcopos. He's here to groom us, prepare us, challenge us, get us ready. He's here to anoint your head with oil and gladness, even though you're going through the worst time of your life. He's here to give you peace, even though everything around you is falling apart. What, what is that? That's God's Holy Spirit moving among the troops and the people, getting us ready for a greater day. Two thousand years ago, that Jesus broke bread with his disciples. And he took the bread and he said this, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Passover bread. But he said, now that I am the bread of life that my Father is sitting down from heaven and any man that eats of, of me, he will never hunger again. And then he lifted up the cup and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Lamb's blood, the Passover, the very first Passover, the blood of the lamb was taken in the shape of a cross upon the door. But he said, now I am the lamb of God who's, and my father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. For the forgiveness of your sins. Calvary Christian Fellowship, the Holy Spirit has come to visit us. He's preparing us this morning. Let us be ready. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.